whose love knows no end, for Jesus has saved us and made us his own. Now we're part of the family that's on its way home. And sometimes we Frank, did you teach them all that? Your wife taught them all that? Okay. I thought you had all the talent in the family, you know? Okay. Very good. Well, uh, how many are here last night and heard Brother Clark preach? Good crowd. should have asked. How many didn't have never heard Brother Clark preach before? A few of you. Good. You're in for a treat then. God will bless your heart by this preacher. He's a, a great pastor and... Um, you know, he's down-to-earth preacher. Um, he's not any different in his church or his pulpit uh, than he, you see him here. Uh, he, pa he pastors a very large work. When we went out there, uh, he treated me and my son like we were royalty. 
And uh, I wasn't even a speaker. I just went there with my son, but he's picking me up. He's taking me here. He's taking me to Dunkin' Donuts to get coffee. Took me to Chick-fil-A, Brother Jeremiah. And uh, I wasn't a speaker. I was just a nobody there with my son. But he's got a meeting with over a 1,000 people a night and all the going, going on at that church, and he's taking me around everywhere. That's just how he, how he is. And, uh, you know, before Brother Clark went into the ministry, he, you owned a drywall company, I understand, your son. And uh, he was a working man and uh, went to work for the Lord and uh, didn't look back. And he, he comes across that way in his own church with his own people. And I think that's why people love to hear him preach and teach um, because he's just him as God's used him. And I, I appreciate Brother Clark's spirit and how he uses the word of God to bless hearts. So we're glad Brother Clark's here. And he's been faithful. How many years of ministry now, preacher? I've uh, been in ministry, I don't know, 38 years, something like that. We started church. We're in our 36th year. Okay. 1981. And then he worked, uh, he worked for um, uh, Lester Roloff. How many knew Lester Roloff or heard him in his ministry? So great man of God. I don't do this often. I like to give him a hand as he comes to the pulpit tonight. All right, let's honor him for his service. Thank you. God bless you. All right. I feel at home in this church, just like our church. Everybody sits in the back. <laughs> church is the only place people get early to get the back row. Everybody at sports, wherever they go, they want to be in the front row, and then you get to church, and whatever it is about church, everybody wants to be in the back. We're going to look in Genesis chapter 27 tonight. I appreciate that singing tonight. Appreciate your congregational singing. And uh, appreciate the family singing. I, our family sings, and uh, we have CDs and stuff. I didn't bring them because I didn't know if Brother Brown liked our music or not. And uh, I didn't want to make it uncomfortable for him. But if you go on solidrockbaptist.org, the family's on there, Clark Family Music. And uh, it's, I'm glad to be at a family conference, but uh, Mrs. Clark and I are big on family. Family outside of salvation, family's everything to us. Um, what profit a man if he gained the whole world and loses his whole family? What shall a man give in exchange for his family? And uh, I mentioned this last night, but Mrs. Clark and I have been uh, married for 51 years now. And uh, we're still on our honeymoon. And I can say that honestly, at least I am. I can't speak for her. I'll say... Her name's April. I say, you love me, April? And she'll say, I'm still here. <laughs> and uh, so I guess it's all right, you know? <clears throat> Genesis chapter number 27. We have a new president. And uh, watch some of that in the room today. Need to pray for his safety. Um, you know, just pray for his safety. Get, that the Lord will watch over him, keep him safe. They had a lot of God in that inauguration. Had the Jewish rabbi there and the Catholic priest and all kind of people. And uh, Franklin Graham, uh, when it started rain, he said rain is, in the Bible, is a blessing from God. And I, that really got me. I thought that was really, you know, words well, well spoken. And uh, I thank the Lord for this country. I thank God. I've been a lot of places, and there's no place like home. And uh, we don't want to take our freedom and our liberty for granted. And uh, we need to pray and pray for the people that are in authority. Um, tomorrow night, 
I'll be speaking to the men uh, about being a man. And uh, our church is a, a men's church. Doesn't mean we look down on ladies. We, we look up to the ladies. But uh, your church won't be, I said last night, church won't be any stronger than your families. But your family's not going to be any stronger than the man in the family. And uh, in a church today, it's a sad thing. I go in a lot of churches, and there's either no men or very few men. And uh, the ladies outnumber the men by a lot. And uh, Mrs. Clark will be talking to the ladies, and I know that you'll get blessed if you come. Genesis chapter 27, been fighting a little bit of sickness and a toothache and want to be a blessing and not get distracted from it all. Uh, in Genesis chapter 27 and verse 18, he came unto his father and he said, My father, he said, Here am I. Who art thou, my son? Now you know the story about Jacob and Esau and how Jacob, first off, he, he uh, gets Esau to sell his birthright for uh, a little a pottage. I guess it would be a little stew or a little soup. And now his mother schemes with him. And, uh, you know, it's a sad thing. Listen, let me just think about this for a minute. Jacob loved Esau, but Jacob's mom loved him. And they both had their favorites. And this may have nothing to do with the message, but you don't have favorites in your family. And you remember Joseph's father, Joseph was his favorite, and it actually hurt him as far as his brothers were concerned. So in your family, you need to treat all your children the same, amen? And uh, somebody say amen. You need to treat them all the same. They're all different. All kids are different. And uh, our family, we have three children, they're all different. But when it comes to treating them right, we've got nine grandchildren. I feel like a pauper around Brother Brown with 13 grandkids. But nine will keep you broke, I guarantee you. But uh, you, you just got to treat them all the same. And that was really a lot of the problem here. But his father says, who art thou? Who are you, my son? Jacob said, his father had bad eyes, so he couldn't see him. And Jacob said unto his father, I am Esau, thy firstborn. I have done according as thou badest me. Arise, I pray thee, sit and eat of my venison, that thy soul may bless me. And Isaac said to his son, how is it thou hast found it so quickly, my son? He said, because the Lord thy God brought it to me. Let's pray. Lord, I do pray that you'll bless the message. I pray, Lord, that you'll speak to us tonight. Lord, I've been blessed just by being here and the congregational music and the special music. And Lord, I pray that the word of God will bless people tonight. I pray you'll bless this church and the pastor and his family. And we ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to preach tonight on the subject, Are You Real? Are You Real? Are you saved? And I don't want you to answer. I hope you are. I hope you say amen. Are you living for the Lord? Do you live like a Christian? Are you living like a Christian? Or do you put on a front? Uh, we wouldn't like to think of somebody not being genuine, not being real. But there's a lot of people, they're, they're, they act different ways in different places with different people. But we need to be real. If, we need, if, if, we need, if we're anything, we need to be real. And we especially need to be real with our family. And we need to be real 
especially, especially with our children. Children, listen, children can spot a phony 20 miles away. And we need to be real in front of our kids. You don't want to be one way at church and another way at home. The maniac at Gadara, he was clothed and in his right mind, and he's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And he asked the Lord, can he go with you? He wanted to go with the Lord. And the Lord said, go home and tell your friends what great things the Lord has done for you. And then in the other scripture, it says, go home and show your friends and your family what great things the Lord has done for you. Let me ask you this question. Are you a Christian at home? Are you a Christian at home? The hardest place to be a Christian is at home. The Bible said when Jesus was in his own hometown, he did not many wonderful works there because of their unbelief. And the Bible says a prophet's not without honor except his own country and among his own kin. So we need to be real, we need to be true, and not one way one place and another way somewhere else. I believe this is more important to be a Christian at home than it is at church. Because we want to be the right influence in, on our own family. All the popes are not in Rome. And all the politicians are not in Washington. And all the church babies are not in the nursery. And all the actors are not in Hollywood. I've been around a long time. And I've seen a lot of things in my lifetime. And I know what I'm talking about. You need to be honest with yourself. When you look in the mirror, you need to be honest with yourself. You need to be real with yourself. And you need to be honest with God. And you need to be honest with your family and everybody else. So here's Jacob. And he says in verse 19, his father says, who, who are you, my son? He says, I am Jacob. You're not Jacob. I'm sorry. He said, I am Esau. I am Esau. He wasn't Esau. He was Jacob. You're not Esau. You are Jacob. And the first thing I want to say tonight, don't pretend to be somebody you're not. I've done that in my life at times. I don't know, I, I, I kind of think everybody does it once in a while because I've done it. And I think everybody, I guess, is a sinner like me. But some people, that's the way they live. They pretend to be a person that they're not. Can I say, you're only fooling yourself. You can't fool God. We can't fool God. God knows what we are. God knows what we are and has mercy on us. Thank the Lord. Don't pretend to be somebody you're not. Don't put on a performance. Be real. Some of the greatest actors I've ever seen are not in the theater. They're not on television. They're not in Hollywood, but they're in church. And I don't know if you know anybody like that, and I hope I'm just preaching to the walls tonight. I hope there's nobody here like that. 1 Samuel chapter 15, if you turn with me. Saul was supposed to kill all the Amalekites. And he keeps Agag alive. He was 
the king of the Amalekites. And these Amalekites are a picture of the flesh. And I think Agag is a picture of that sin that does so easily beset us. It'd be like getting rid of every sin but that one big sin. So the Lord's going to reject Saul from being king. He sends Samuel, and Samuel's brokenhearted, but he tells him that God's taken the, uh, the kingdom from you, and he's given it to somebody that's more deserving than you are. And after Saul gets rebuked, after Samuel comes to him, after he's, he knows that he's, he's losing his kingdom and everything else, look what he, look what he says in, in verse uh, 30. 1 Samuel 15, 30. He says, I have sinned, yet honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord thy God. Honor me before the people. Honor me before Israel. Think about this. Here's Saul, and he ought to be on his knees. He ought to be crying and repenting and trying to get right with God. And all he's worried about is how he looks in front of the people. He ought to looked, he ought to have been worried about how he looked in God's eyes. That's what we ought to worry about. We, we shouldn't be trying to impress people. We should not be trying to have everybody, you know, think we're really somebody. But we ought to be worried about what God thinks of us. He wanted to look good in front of the people. We don't want to be phonies. We need to be real. We need to be real. I, as a pastor, I don't want to act like I walk on water. I don't, I don't, want, I don't want people... Our church is not man-centered, it's God-centered. And I believe it's the same way here. I don't, I don't want people to be impressed with me. I want people to be impressed with God. I don't want people coming to our church because, you know, we have good singing or uh, good preaching, uh, good music. I want have all those things. But I want people to come there because God is there. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about man. Brother Roloff used to say this. He said, you get more results in 10 minutes getting interested in people than you will in 10 years trying to get people interested in you. And a lot of men make that mistake. A lot of people make that mistake. They want to impress people. And a lot of pastors think, well, if I can just impress everybody, they're all going to come to church. The church is going to grow. No, we need, we need to hide behind the cross. We need to think of John the Baptist when he said, he must increase, but I must decrease. We're not here to impress people. We didn't drive to Michigan to impress you. And that should not be our goal in life. Everybody thinks we're really somebody. Over in the book of Acts, I'm not going to turn to it, but Gamaliel was talking about uh, when the disciples were preaching, he said, uh, if this isn't of God, it'll come to naught. But if it is of God, don't, don't, don't oppose it because you'll be going against God. And he used a couple of illustrations there of different men who had uh, made themselves to be a Christ, made themselves to be the Messiah, and, and nothing came of it. All the people followed him died. But uh, the one person, I can't think of his name right now, but he, he tried to be, he, he boasted that he was somebody, that he was somebody. And 
You know, we don't want to be somebody. You don't need to be somebody. You need to be a nobody. Because God uses nobodies. So the first thing I want to say tonight is be real. Don't try to be somebody else. I'm, I never tried to be Peter Ruckman. I never tried to be Jack Hiles. I just, I just, I'm just me. And you're just you. And God made you the way he made you. And God gave the gifts to you that you have and gives them to somebody else. But you just need to be yourself and you need to be real. Look over in Matthew chapter number 2. Matthew chapter number 2. You know the story about the wise men. Look at verse 7 with me. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that may, I may come and worship him also. Now here's Herod, and these wise men come, and they want to know, where is he that's born king of the Jews? Well, Herod is the king of the Jews, and he's not looking for competition. And you know, and I know, he doesn't want to worship Jesus. He wants to kill him. But the wise men don't know this. So he acts like he wants to worship the king. He wants to worship the Lord. Now, here's the point. He talked like a believer. He talked like a believer. When you find him, you come let me know. I, I want to worship him too. He talked like a believer, but listen, he was an unbeliever. He wasn't a believer at all. He was an unbeliever. He was a lost man, and he was a wicked man. He talked like a believer he talked like something that he wasn't. You know, somebody said your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. And that's true. You know, the devil sounded good in the garden. When Eve talked to the devil, she had that conversation with Satan, he sounded good to Eve in the garden. There's a lot of people know how to talk to talk that don't walk to walk. Look with me in Romans chapter number 16. Romans chapter number 16. And I'll just read one verse, verse 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. In the Bible, number one is for unity. And the Lord, over and over, says that we're supposed to be one. Two is the number, of course, for division. And a lot of times over the years, I've had different people come into church. And for whatever reasons, they cause division in the church. They just start trouble. I remember we had a man come to our church and he left another man's church. And uh, it, was, it was my old pastor. And I called him and I said, so-and-so showed up at our church. And here's what he told me. He said, well, he'll just stay long enough to make trouble. And you know what he did? He stayed long enough to make trouble. He set me up. He worked for a car company. And they, him and a couple of men were pushing for the church to buy us a car. 
And then in the end, he made it like I was trying to steal the church's money and buy myself a car. Now look what it says in verse 18. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. Notice what it says. By good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. By fair, good words and fair speeches they deceive the hearts of the simple. A lot of people talk to talk. But you better pray and stay close to the Lord and be led of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says we need to try the spirits. Look over in Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter number 16. Don't talk like a Christian if you're not a Christian. Don't talk like some great person of the faith. If you're not. Now you ought to be. We ought to be. We ought to be Christians. We ought to be saints. We ought to be living godly. But don't just talk to talk. Look in Acts 16, 16. Paul's come over. He's heard the Macedonian call. He's come to, to Philippi here. Chief city in Macedonia. And Lydia, God's opened her heart and she's gotten saved. And now in verse 16, it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God. That's a compliment, isn't it? These, ser these men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this she did many days, notice, but Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. Now here's Paul and this woman's telling him, these are the servants of the most high God and they show you the way of salvation. Why, why was he grieved with that? She, what she was saying was true. Right? I mean, you think it'd be good advertisement. She was saying, she, had all, she said all the right things. Listen, she had the right message, but she had the wrong spirit. She had the wrong spirit. You're going to see people, and they've got the right message. You'll see them on television. There's people on there, and they'll give the gospel out. But I'm telling you something. Listen, the spirit's wrong. It's not the spirit of the Lord. So here is this woman, and she's talking like a believer would talk. These are the servants of the Most High God. They show you the way of salvation. But she had a different spirit. And it grieved Paul in his heart. I went to the doctor a couple weeks ago. And uh, I got, I'm a bow hunter. And uh, I got bit by a tick. And where we live, we got a lot of limes. So the first tick, I thought, well, I'll just risk it. Then I got bit by another tick. So I thought, I better go and get checked for limes. So I go to my doctor. My doctor's a Christian doctor. He's a good man. His wife plays the harp. Beautiful. And he has another doctor helping him. And the other doctor, uh, he has him working there because uh, he believes the guy's a Christian. So I had gone to this other doctor once before. Once before, I tried to get an appointment with my doctor, and I got an uh, appointment with the, the, the fill-in doctor. And this was about a year ago. And the guy shocked me because he cussed. Now, usually a professional person 
You know, you don't think your doctor's going to start cussing when you're in the room. So I got in there to get this, my leg looked at where the tick bit me, and his phone rings, his cell phone. And he had his number changed, and there's some lady, I think she's a Spanish lady or something, she doesn't understand English real good, and she keeps calling his number. So he picks up the phone, and he starts cussing this lady out. I mean, the air turned blue. I mean, it was bad stuff. He used the Lord's name in vain. And then, then when he hangs up, he looks at me, and he, that something, something, something woman. I'm just kind of sitting there. Well, then he went out, and he got my chart, and he found out I was a pastor. So he comes in, and all of a sudden, man, the tune has changed. I mean, it's like it ain't even the same person. He tells me, he says, I've been playing the piano over at a church near us for 30 years. Been playing the piano for 30 years. He said, my, past, my brother's a pastor wherever the other church is. And all of a sudden, man, let me tell you, his tune changed. And, and it just completely different. Now here's the thing. I, I got real doubts whether this guy's saved. I don't know about you, but I cringe when I hear people using the Lord's name in vain. And, and there's something radically wrong in this person's life. But it's like, it's like two different people. When he doesn't know I'm a pastor, and he must have been embarrassed to death. Maybe one of the ladies heard him cussing or something and said, hey, you know, that guy's a pastor. But it must have, I mean, you'd think it was two different people. We're not supposed to be like two different people. We're supposed to be true. We're supposed to be real. And you can, you can talk like a believer. It doesn't make you a believer. Look at Acts chapter 5. You know this story. In Acts chapter 5, we have Sapphira and Ananias. Peter said to Ananias in verse 3, Why has Satan filled thy heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? Keep back part of the price of the land. While it remained, was it not your own? And while it was sold, was it not my own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thy heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out, and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after, when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. That's classic. Here's Ananias, shows up at church, God kills him. Three hours later, Sapphira comes rolling in. I don't know if she was doing her hair, doing her makeup. I don't know what she was doing. Uh, anyway, God ends up killing her. So what is the deal here? What, what happened? Here's what happened. Sapphira and Ananias were acting more spiritual than they really were. They were, they were not, not they, they tried to impress everybody with what they were giving. Barnabas had sold a piece of land, and he came and he brought the money, put it at the apostles' feet. So they see that, and everybody's made such a big thing out of Barnabas, and, and they think, well, you know, everybody will think we're really great, and they'll make a big thing out of us. And Something happened, and their hands stuck to some of the money. But they were acting more spiritual than they really were. In our church, I don't know what you do out here when you have weddings, but we have a middle aisle like you do. And at a lot of our weddings, we'll have a flower girl, and she'll have a little basket of, like, rosebuds, or maybe imitation rosebuds. 
And in the wedding, she'll come marching down, come down the aisle here, and, and just spreading their little rosebuds. You ever do that here? I don't know if you do, but that's something we do in New Jersey at weddings. You know what a lot of people do on Sunday? They come in the middle aisle and they're spreading their little spiritual dust all over. And they just spread that around. They smile and they look good in front of everybody. But you know, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And you can, you can act more spiritual than you really are. And you know, there's a temptation to do that. I mean, there's a temptation to impress people with our spirituality and what a great Christian we are and what a great soul winner we are and what a great Bible teacher we are and all that kind of stuff. It's just there's a temptation there to the pride of, the pride of life. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. The lust of the eyes is, is to have. And the lust of the the pride of life is, is to be. To be somebody we're not. You can act spiritual. You can talk spiritual. It doesn't make you spiritual. You need to be spiritual. What makes a person spiritual? Can I tell you this? Doing doesn't make you spiritual. Doing doesn't get you saved. We're not, we're not saved by works. We're saved by faith. You can, you can go out soul winning. You can hand out tracts. You can sing in the choir. You can, you can drive a Sunday school bus. You can work in RU. You can do, 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 do. Doing, just like doing doesn't save you, doing doesn't make you spiritual. The Holy Spirit makes you spiritual. A spiritual person is a spirit-filled person. And there's a lot of people who have made big mistakes over the years, and they think because they're doing and doing and doing and and boy, everything's happening, and it's big, and, and they're spiritual. And some of the most carnal men I ever saw in my life had big churches because they were doing, 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 but it didn't make them spiritual. And it's not going to make you spiritual. It's not going to make me spiritual. I can run all over the country preaching. does not make me spiritual. What makes me spiritual is if I get alone with God somewhere and stay there until God fills me with the Spirit. So we don't want to act more spiritual than we really are. I don't, my wife knows me. We've been married 51 years. I've known her since she's 14 years old. My wife, if I'm a phony, my wife knows I'm a phony. What good would it do for me to impress everybody in the whole church or everybody in the whole world and the person that I love more than anybody knows what I really am? We need, listen, we need to be real. We need to be real. Look over in John chapter number 12. John chapter number 12. And uh, in verse number three, Mary took a pound of ointment, spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the odor of the ointment. She loved Jesus, and she wanted to do something for him. Then said one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This said he, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. Now listen, if you're going to do something for the Lord, somebody's going to criticize you. It just goes with the territory. Somebody, if the, when you set your mind, you're going to live for God and do something for the Lord, and you start carrying that out, somebody's going to oppose you. There's always going to be a Sam Bout. There's always going to be a Tobiah. There's always going to be somebody that's got a better idea. 
You know, Judas didn't do anything for the Lord. He didn't give anything to the Lord. And here's this woman, gives this spike nerd, and he criticizes her for what she's doing. Should have been given to the poor. Everybody's got that, that better idea. But you know, Judas was the biggest phony of them all. He was, the, he was the biggest fraud going. The Bible said he didn't care about the poor, but he was a thief. And all he cared about was the money. Now, Judas had the disciples fooled. When Jesus said, tonight, one of you going to betray me, the disciples looked around and said, is it me? Is it me? Who is it? I mean, they, they were so close. They traveled together. They slept together. They ate together. And, and he could pull it off. He, he was an expert. I mean, he, was, he should have gotten an Emmy. He should have gotten an Oscar. Because even the disciples didn't know what he was. But listen, here's what Jesus said. Have not I chosen you twelve? And one of you is a devil. One of you is a devil. Hey, listen, Judas wasn't saved. Judas, he didn't, he didn't lose his salvation. He never was saved in the first place. Now here's what's going to happen when you get to heaven. You're going to be surprised. You're going to be surprised in heaven. You know, it's amazing how much the Bible doesn't tell us about heaven. It just doesn't give us a lot of details about heaven. But here's what you're going to be surprised about. Number one, you're going to be surprised about some of the people that are there. Remember Joseph of Arimathea? He was a, a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews. Nobody knew Joseph was a disciple. Nobody knew Nicodemus was a disciple until he finally came out of the closet. You know, some of us Christians, we need to get out of the closet. We got the wrong crowd coming out of the closet, amen? But here's what else you're going to be surprised about when you get to heaven. Who's not there? Who's not there? He was a disciple. He was one of the twelve. When Jesus sent him out, he went out with the others. But he never was saved. I believe with all my heart that you're going to be shocked about who is not in heaven. I believe this. I believe churches are full of lost people. I believe that. I don't know a pastor that thinks his whole church is saved. Look over in James chapter number 2. In James chapter number 2, this is where Jehovah Witnesses always take you to try to, try to convince you that you're saved by your works. They never take you to Romans 4 where Abraham is saved by faith. But they'll take you here, try to confuse you, because they're confused. But look what it says in verse 19. Thou believest there's one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Well, that's pretty scary, isn't it? You believe there's one God, thou doest well. The devils believe and tremble. But will thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Verse 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Now listen, we're not saved by works. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 tells us that. By grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. We are saved by faith. But listen, if you are a true believer, and you are trusting Christ, and your faith is in the Lord, there's going to be evidence 
of your faith. There's going to be evidence of your salvation. There's saving faith and there's dead faith. Dead faith is, oh yeah, I believe in God. Oh, I believe in Jesus. I went to Sunday school when I was probably two years old. And I knew Jesus died on the cross. I knew he was born of a virgin. I knew he walked on water. I could tell you just about everything Jesus did. I had it all up here, but I didn't have it down here. And at 30 years old, going to church and hearing real preaching and getting convicted about my sin, I got saved. I didn't get saved because I want to go to heaven. I didn't get saved because I didn't want to go to hell. I got saved because I wanted to be forgiven. God convicted me of my sin, that I was a sinner. Now, you know, the one sin, the one sin that God will never forgive is the sin of unbelief. All other sins can be forgiven. But if you die an unbeliever, you're going to spend eternity in hell. So you need to make sure you're saved. And don't just put on a front and don't be deceived. As a teenager, if somebody asked me, are you saved? I'd tell them, yeah. And I'd have told them how to get saved. You've got to believe in Jesus. But I wasn't, I wasn't saved. John the Baptist, when the Pharisees came to the baptism, he said, bring forth fruit, meat for repentance. In other words, show me your repentance. Show me your faith. That's what James is saying. If you believe, there's going to be some kind of, there's going to be some kind of evidence. When I was sitting there at 30 years old and I had it all up in my head. The preacher said, you know, saved people desire the sincere milk of the word. I, I didn't desire the sincere milk of the word. And he said, sin will bother you. And my conscience might have bothered me a little bit, but I really wasn't convicted about my sin. I was just doing what I wanted to do. And what I'm telling you is this, there was no proof of my salvation. There was no evidence of salvation. Let me give you this thought, Ephesians chapter number 6, and I'll close. In Ephesians chapter number 6, children obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. I used this text last night. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. And then it says this, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Can I tell you one thing that will hurt your kids more than anything else is if you're a phony, if you're not real, if you're just putting on. Maybe you come to church and you're all smiley, and you're all happy, and then you get out in the car and you start screaming and hollering and whatever you do. Maybe at church you act one way, which a lot of people do, but at home you're a different person. I know a lot of children who don't want anything to do with church, and they don't want anything to do with Christianity. And they've grown up in a church, and they've grown up in a so-called Christian home. And the parents can't understand why they don't want anything to do with it. And the reason they don't is because they've seen all the fakery and, and all the phoniness and all the putting on trying to impress people 
but not really living that way at home. You know, sometimes parents will be correcting children for small things when they've got big sin in their life. I've had a lot of people do that over the years, especially fathers. Every little thing the kid does, you know, bad, great at school, and yet they're not living, I mean, they're just hypocrites. They're doing all kinds of stuff that they shouldn't be doing. If you want to damage your children, if you want to hurt your children, just don't be real. We had a guy come in, not our church, but the church we got saved in. And he had probably about 10 foster children with him. And they were going around doing family conferences. And he'd have all the kids up there. And, you know, there was something wrong with it. One of the girls, about 14 years old, she dressed up like a movie star. And something just didn't ring true. Well, come to find out, that he'd been molesting every one of those kids. Now, what, what do you think was going through those kids' minds when they're up in these churches and everybody's making all this big fuss and, you know, all this brother wonderful and this family, and, and here's these kids, and they know what's going on. How, how in the world do you expect those people to be saved? How do you expect them to, to love God and want to be a Christian with that kind of example? I'm all done. We need to be real. You need to be able to look in the mirror and be real with your own self. And you need to be real with God. And you need to be real with everybody, but especially your family. With your wife, with your husband, with your kids, with your friends. We need to be true blue. Don't pretend to be something you're not. Be if, you, if there's something you think people want you to be, God wants you to be, be what you're supposed to be. If you will be what you're supposed to be, you'll do what you're supposed to do. Let's stand. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed.